NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion, and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. Oh my gosh, I have so much to tell you about today, and the lead story is unbelievable. Why is it not everywhere? It's going to be. It's going to be. I think people didn't understand exactly the significance of what happened, but you are not going to believe what happened to that Fannie Willis case down in Georgia. Uh, first, let me just start with the breaking legal news on what's happening. President Trump heading to federal court in D.C. this morning about his claim that he is immune from criminal prosecution because the acts they're complaining about were taken while he was the sitting president of the United States. Um, by all accounts, the argument didn't seem to go particularly well for him. You remember he lost this at the federal district court level, the trial court. Now it's going up to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Whatever happens, the losing party will try to appeal it to the Supreme Court. We had Dave and Mike on last week with a split verdict on whether the Supreme Court will take it. So in any event, D.C. Circuit seemed very skeptical that the president could claim immunity crim from criminal prosecution for anything he does while he's, he's in office. Uh, but meanwhile, let's go down to Georgia, OK, because the case against Trump in Georgia, I'm not sure the case itself is going to go away, but the prosecutor might be. She's in a whole lot of trouble herself and could potentially even be facing criminal charges herself. You're not going to believe what's in this new filing by a Trump co-defendant. And now you look at that as a Trump co-defendant. All right, got it, whatever. No. When you look at what they're actually alleging and what they appear to have seen about Fannie Willis and what she's been doing, if any of this is, is true, she's in a massive ton of trouble uh, and is obviously going to get booted off of the case and actually could be facing criminal charges herself, as I said. All this as separately, former First Lady Michelle Obama is talking about how terrified she is about what may happen in this election year. Terrified enough to actually throw her own hat? into the political arena. Hmm. Joining me now, Victor Davis Hanson, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and author of the upcoming book, The End of Everything, How Wars Descend into Annihilation. VDH, welcome back to the show. Great to have you. Thank you for having me, Megan. Okay, so this this whole thing that's happening with Fannie Willis, I'm sorry, forgive, it's just too delicious. It's, she. I mean, she doesn't seem like an honest person prosecutor to me. This whole thing is political against Trump down in Georgia, the RICO, everything. So what is being alleged now by a lawyer whose name is Ashley Merchant, and she is the attorney for one of the defendants down there. Last name is Roman. Um, and this guy, Roman, looking for his first name here, can't find it in front of me. But in any event, he's one of the co-defendants, Michael. Michael, he worked as director of Election Day operations for the Trump camp in 2020. Well, right now he's charged with seven felony counts by Fannie Willis. 
uh, conspiracy, trying to organize organize slates of Trump's electors, working with Trump to, you know, get the election to go Trump's way in Georgia. He got indicted by Fannie Willis. Actually, one of the, the grand jury wouldn't indict him, but she charged him anyway. And um, his lawyer is this Ashley Merchant, who has just filed a barn burner of a motion calling attention to what she says is a disgusting ethics breach by Fannie Willis. She says that Fannie Willis is in an inappropriate romantic relationship with the special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, who she brought in to help prosecute this RICO case against Trump and all the others. And that she and Nathan Wade have been having an affair and that she named him special prosecutor the day before he filed for a divorce from his wife and that she's been funneling payments to him for his work as a special prosecutor and that he's been using those monies to then take Fannie Willis on all these exotic vacations, um, traveling together to Napa Valley, to Florida, cruising the Caribbean together, using tickets, quoting here from the Atlanta Journal Journal Constitution, uh, using tickets Wade purchased uh, from Norwegian and Royal Caribbean cruise lines and suggesting that the checks that were sent to this guy, Wade, Nathan Wade, from Fannie Willis, Fulton County, and his subsequent purchases of vacations for Fannie Willis could amount not only to a conflict of interest because she's using him to fund her life and to prosecute Trump, but to, quote, honest services fraud, a federal crime in which a vendor gives kickbacks to an employer. He would be the vendor, Fannie Willis slash Fulton County, the employer. It is possible this could also be prosecuted under the RICO statute, claims Ashley Merchant, the attorney for one of these defendants, in a motion. Now, that seems like a potential reach, though I don't know. But one other thing, Victor, and then I'll get you to weigh in on it. Just in case people out there are thinking this is just, you know, the the long shot Hail Mary of a co-defendant in this case. No, they went to Stephen Gillers, who since I was in law school is the guy you go to when you want an ethics opinion on what a lawyer has done. He literally wrote the textbook we all study before we take the bar exam on legal ethics. He's professor emeritus at NYU Law School. And he was interviewed by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for this, took it and said, um, I'm going to quote, quote here. He said, a closer look at Fannie Willis's decision making is needed before it can be ter- determined whether the indictment against this guy, uh, this co-defendant of Trump's, should be dismissed. The allegations, if true, said Gillers, uh, lead to the following conclusion. Fannie Willis was conflicted in the investigation and prosecution of this case and was not able to bring the sort of independent professional judgment her position requires. Well, as far as I can tell, all this would apply not just to this one defendant, Roman, but also to Donald Trump. Just because Roman's lawyer found it doesn't mean it's not going to benefit Trump and the other defendants. And not only, and I'll go on because Gillers adds to what he said, this doesn't mean her decisions were in fact improperly motivated, he says. Uh, But it does mean the public and the state as her client could not have the confidence in the independent judgment that her position required her to exercise. So this guy's suggesting she may have to go. The lawyer suggesting she may actually 
be subjected to criminal prosecution, depending on, on what comes out. And she is basing her allegations, this Ashley Merchant lawyer, that's the name of the lawyer, on the fact that, in part, she reviewed the divorce case in Wade's ongoing divorce proceeding, Nathan Wade's ongoing divorce proceeding, um, the, the guy who she's Fanny's having the affair with, according to this motion. And she made copies of documents therein. Then this guy Wade's divorce file was later sealed. And because it's been sealed now, the lawyer merchant can't share the information she got from the divorce file until that seal is lifted. She is asking a judge to unseal the divorce proceedings of Fannie Willis's alleged affair partner and special prosecutor in this case. Okay, I'm done. What do you make of it all? Well, I mean, if, if it's true, uh, she's going to be facing criminal exposure because if she did travel with this guy and she benefited from the perks that that he extended to her and, she, and he was a special prosecutor who were supposed to be i guess they brought him in because they felt that he had expertise or at least he wouldn't be part of the earlier deliberations and he would be uh perhaps more fair and judicious so she defeated that purpose but if she benefited with his liaison and she facilitated i think she's going to face she would face criminal exposure. But it brings up a couple of things, I think, in a wider context. All of the legal eagles who looked at these four cases, these four indictments, maybe putting Jack Smith's aside because it was a federal indictment, had all come to the consensus that Fannie Willis had the most likely chance of succeeding, that Latita James on the real estate thing was sort of bogus, and Alvin Bragg was even less serious. But Fannie Willis, because of the phone call and the Georgia, the, the tension of the major parties in an election, they all felt that that was at least the consensus. If that folds, I think it'll have a ripple effect. It will remind the public and I think the legal community that all of them were politically motivated. And this was the best chance that the people who were engaging in lawfare had to get Donald Trump. The other thing is, this isn't the first time we've seen one of these Soros-supported uh prosecutors come on to, into conflict with the law. We had uh, Kim Fox in Chicago, remember, with Juicy Smollett, and that they, she had to be overridden. We had the Baltimore prosecutor, I think the one in St. Louis. Out here in California, we've had Marilyn Mosby Bedeen. in, ba in, ba yeah, in uh, Baltimore, yeah. Marilyn Mosby. Yes, Baltimore, Carolyn Mosby. We have Giscon facing. So all of them, I think, are finally coming under scrutiny. And it's kind of ironic, or maybe it's nemesis at work, that they were so confident and so boastful in some of their public campaigns for office that they were going to get Trump and they were going to do this and this. And all they did is bring scrutiny into their their careers that couldn't bear scrutiny. And so I, that's oh, kind of ironic and it's, it's good news. It's a good point. I hadn't considered that. Marilyn Mosby, she, she too, facing uh, charges out there for mismanaging state funds, for getting a home loan during covid that really was just meant to get her a better mortgage rate, if memory serves. It wasn't for COVID. And yeah. uh, so she's no longer in office. And now she's I, dealing I forgot with the name of the St. Louis problems. prosecutor. I think the St. Louis prosecutor that went after the couple that was armed, she's facing yeah. problems as well. I think she's step, right. stepped down. Yeah, she's. But she's, this one, I mean, this one's huge, Victor, because this woman yeah. has, she's made a national name for herself. Through she this has. case, by going after Donald Trump, you know, she was going to be the ethical one to take him down for mis 
treating the Georgia election workers and the Georgia election system. And now we find out, according to, again, I'm reading from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is reporting on the motion that she filed, that that, that the lawyer uh, filed, um, saying, so keep in mind, she's the DA, all right? This is Fannie Willis is the DA. She authorizes the compensation of a special prosecutor she's bringing on, like Nathan Wade, and that he's been paid so far almost $654,000 in legal fees. The allegation, of course, being that they then turned around and went to the Caribbean together and they went to Florida together and they went on. Fannie Willis is loving the position of special prosecutor. If any of this is true, she's going away. She's no she's not going to be allowed to prosecute Trump anymore on this case. And she has. And all of these prosecutors have made various motions, especially Jack Smith, but even the local ones that they wanted urgency. They wanted to to hasten these cases before the election. And if they're so in a hurry, how they have time to go to the Caribbean or Napa or to (laughs) junk it all around, you think they would be working 24 seven as they claim. And, you know, both conservative and and left wing lawyers who weigh in and social media on TV, they always say the same thing. Well, we don't you know, brag is a joke and Lita James, but 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 Fannie Willis has got the goods on Trump. This phone call is a lot of criminal exposure. And if this thing blows up, and I think it has a good chance of, I think it'll, it, it will have consequences with all of the other ones. Because Jack Smith's not doing too well himself, and I think won't do, do as well. Um, and so it may happen that, that not only did these, uh, I think, bogus po- politicalization of the legal system go after Trump, not only did they help him in the primary, but they're going to help him even more than these people can dream of. The, uh, the, the interesting election. thing about the interesting thing about the motion is they're pushing not just to have Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor, disqualified. Of course, they want the entire DA's office off. They they are saying this entire DA's office has been compromised and should not be allowed to pursue this case. Obviously, there's been rot at the center of this thing. Two people conspiring for money. He, you know, she's basically benefiting off of the prosecution. Oh, I need to pursue it. I, it's a big case, so big I've got to bring in help. And it, you know, if that if the money that we have to pay the special prosecutor just happens to line my own pockets, oh gee, judge, well it couldn't be helped. That's the position she's now going to be in. So they've got a good argument. If any of this is true, and that's a big if, we have to wait to see it. Again, this stuff is under seal, but this lawyer Ashley Merchant is pushing to get it unsealed. And that's going to work too. I mean, she's going to succeed in getting that stuff unsealed. We're going to find out exactly what was alleged probably by the ex-wife against this guy, Nathan Wade in their divorce proceedings about what he's been doing with Fannie Willis. Here's Trump this morning. He, he, one other thing, he wasn't speaking about this exactly. He was speaking about the immunity arguments before uh, the DC circuit court of appeals. And he came out and did mention Georgia. He said, quote, we had a very big event yesterday, as you saw in Georgia. That case is totally compromised. It has to be dropped. The reason they paid him so much is because he was after me. Every legal analyst I've read said that case is so compromised now it has to be dropped. Well, I mean, there hasn't been a lot of legal analysis on this particular motion because it didn't get a lot of pickup, but it's going to. Uh, they, they just have it hasn't made the rounds. It's going to because this woman seems to have the receipts, if she's actually seen the, the sealed documents in the in the Wade divorce case, she's got something, I think, unless she's com- a complete charlatan. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that may be true too, but you know, there, there's a, even another pattern, and that is it goes all the way back to the Mueller case. When Mueller's assembled his team, and I, I think most people realize there was not Russian collusion, but there in fact had been collusion with Hillary Clinton's sources to destroy the Trump campaign in 2016. But do you remember the hype then? It was Robert Mueller and Mr. Wiseman have uh, assembled the dream team, the all-stars, the hunter-killer team. I think Max Boot called them the hunter-killer team. And that Trump had these Trumpy, crazy, Jay Sekulow, Ty Cobb lawyers, rural, and they were never going to be up to speed. And the Trump lawyers kind of demolished them. And the same is here. We've been told that these are all professional prosecutors. Trump's team and the other defendants' teams are not up to snuff. He's got... Uh, Fox uh, people on on his team, da, 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 da. And I think what they overlook is it didn't really matter how good or bad these prosecutors are. They were committing lawfare all the time and they never had cases. And the defense had a much easier chance to show that because there was no evidence that Donald Trump ever colluded with the Russians, just like there's no evidence that Donald Trump is any different than any other real estate person in New York as far as valuing assets uh, for a loan that the bank was happy to take and profit from, just like uh, a non-disclosure with a camp uh, becoming a campaign finance uh, violation with Alvin Bragg. These are very weak cases, and it, and it, it, doesn't, it shows you that when they brag and brag and brag and brag about these prosecutors, they don't, they miss the, the central truth. They're using the law to pollute and warp politics and go after someone that has, that they otherwise should have gone after uh, politically, or they can have the people decide through elections. And that it, they're going to lose because you can't, I mean, I think finally there's no law to, to substantiate that. We're, we're seeing this across the board. I think the latest revelations about the January 6th that, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of research now that maybe there was a lot more politically, uh, excuse me, FBI informants and people that were politically aligned as informants working for the government on January 6th. And most of the, the things that we were told were just iconic and true that five uh, officers killed themselves because of this right after. That wasn't quite true. Sicknick didn't die from violence. Uh, the only person who died was Ashley Babbitt violently, and she was a Trump supporter, blah, blah. I mean, that's not to defend the idea of a buffoonish riot, but my God, I just bring that up, Megan, because when Biden keeps beating that January 6th dead horse, and he keeps talking, almost praising the May, uh, the May 2020 riots, it seemed to me, and they were staying, standing up. I think these guys have really misinterpreted the the uh, the course of American public opinion right now. I think people are getting very tired of all of these things going on. The Gaza protests are shutting down the bridges, disrupting the California legislature the other day, going into the Capitol Rotunda. Uh, it's just creating a, a narrative that we got to stop this. That all these people are trying to do things extra legally to warp a political process because they feel that they have a right, basically, to disrupt and destroy given Donald Trump. It's almost like we're going to destroy democracy to save democracy from Donald Trump. And I don't think people are going to put up with it much longer. And I think mm -hmm. I think she's in big trouble if she's culpable. It will tend to to echo and reverberate through public opinion and the other yeah. prosecutions are going to be affected as well. Well, that's the other thing. If it's true, if she actually is having an affair with this guy and he it's in his divorce documents and they took these trips, she's not gonna be able to deny it. 
She's, it's not deniable. If she, maybe she's going to come out. So far, according to Atlanta Journal-Constitution, she uh, her office simply said we'll respond to Roman's allegations through appropriate court filings. Uh, the alleged affair partner, Nathan Wade, did not immediately respond to a request for comment. I mean, let me tell you, if they called me up and said, are you having an affair with Nathan Wade? And did you hire him? Um, and then use the monies to take trips with him. I would say, no, I didn't. I don't know Nathan Wade. I'd say, no, I wouldn't say I, I don't comment or I'll put it in a filing or I don't even get back to the Atlanta Journal Constitution, which yeah. is a legit paper. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Uh, here's the other thing. They say the document offers no concrete proof, meaning the, the motion filed by the lawyer of the romantic ties between Willis and Wade, but says, quote, sources close to both the special prosecutor and the district attorney have confirmed they had an ongoing personal relationship. Um, so there's that. And then th this just in the uh, Speaker of the House in Georgia, the state house, John Burns, just tweeted the following uh, moments ago, literally moments ago. The allegations against District Attorney Fannie Willis are extremely troubling, to say the least. We need to let the process play out, but the public absolutely deserves transparency and the truth from the district attorney about these serious allegations. We look forward to quick, quickly strengthening oversight of prosecuting attorneys in the coming days to ensure district attorneys across the state are doing their job to serve the public's best interest. Right. Because you cannot, if as alleged here, uh, if this is true, you cannot have a district attorney who has a financial interest in the case moving forward because she's getting fancy trips off of the special prosecutor's salary. She's paying him. He's taking her on cruises. She's getting to see the world. She's not disclosing it. That's what's being alleged here. You, you, they're right. You cannot have that. You cannot have this number of defendants and their freedom in jeopardy because of a DA like this. And so the, the, in this case, the defendant is asking for everyone to be disqualified and he wants the charges dismissed. Now, I, I don't think that's going to happen. They won't dump the whole thing, but it's not entirely impossible. So there's Georgia, huge developments this morning. For sure, there's yeah. going to be a lot more coming on that. You know, now, I think in, yeah, one, one, oh, one question is, why do we know now? Why are all of a sudden these trips probably happened weeks, if not months ago? And I think the answer is that, again, these are political acts and they are predicated on public opinion and the public opinion seeps into the bureaucracies. So when we when one of the Soros funded prosecutors started to face criminal liability, then people all of a sudden in the aftermath of George Floyd, as that became distant in the rearview mirror, people woke up and said, wait a minute, Soros in this crisis atmosphere got all of these people elected. Let's take a look at them and what's going on in the country at large. And they started coming forward, you know, and they were leaking documents. And we found out what they were doing in Baltimore, what they were doing in San Francisco, what was going on in Los Angeles, what was going on in St. Louis, and what was going on in Chicago. And I think finally people, the mood of the country is, I guess what I'm saying is changing. And now people are starting to look at these prosecutors in a way that they didn't dare do uh, at the height of the sort of woke movement just, just a few months ago. And I think we saw that with the college presidents. We're seeing it across the board. People are kind of waking up now and saying, you know what, we're going to apply standard criteria to everybody. And we're not going to get into this mood that certain people get exemptions and, this, and we're not going to talk about this. And, and I think they are. And I don't think a lot of these people who were elected with help from George Soros and others 
uh, are going to stand scrutiny. Well, one of the things that Joe Biden was saying at his remarks, which we'll get to yesterday, um, was that he's he's all about law and order. You know, that he he has a commitment to law, unlike uh, Donald Trump. And you look at, you know, just the some of the things you just mentioned it. OK, so he, unlike Trump, likes enforcing the law. And what he means is January 6th. You know, Trump was lawless. His fans and supporters were lawless. What about the BLM riots? Kamala Harris actually supported um, supporting the protesters to get bailed out in Minnesota. There was an actual tweet. All right, there was an actual tweet that she said that she sent out. If you're able to chip in now to the Minneapolis or Minnesota Freedom Fund to help post bail for those protesting on the ground in Minnesota. That was post George Floyd. Uh, now, that, that's that's his partner who, who thought it was appropriate to help. She, those and remember, who in June, cars. In Ju- yeah, in June of 2020 and the, and the fact checkers always deny this. They said, well, she was only talking about peaceful. But remember, she went out right after they tried to storm the White House grounds. And some of the worst rioting, she said, this is not going to stop, nor should it stop. These demonstrations are going to go on all the way. She was not yet vice president uh, nominated, but she was going to be. It was pretty clear. And she said, nor should they be. And they are going to go on all the way to the election. And you remember that Molly Ball article? she went to visit Jacob Blake, a guy who got got stabbed by cops after he was beating them up and called him a hero. What I don't understand about all this, they keep talking about federal property, and I think that should be sacrosanct. They say the people's property, and now we hear a prosecutor just the other day said, we're going to prosecute people who step foot outside the Capitol. And you think, well, wait a minute. Some of the members of Congress were speaking when Palestinian protesters went in and occupied the rotunda just a few weeks ago. And here in California, they went into the California legislature and disrupted it in session. And during those riots that you were talking about, they tried to burn down a Portland, and they torched it, a Portland federal courthouse. And then in, in June, and a Minneapolis they went out, and yes, a police a, a precinct police station. too. And then they went in, if you remember, they tried to swarm the White House grounds and get it Donald Trump, and he had to be escorted by the Secret Service into a bunker. And so they had all of these attacks on federal property that were far more violent I mean, there was nobody armed inside or doing burning things or trying to torch the Capitol or disrupting it to the same degree they're doing it here in California. And, you know, you, it, finally, people are, I think people are going to say, you know, we don't have a republic anymore if they're going to completely be asymmetrical in the application of the law. And Joe Biden is feeding this. And uh, this is, you know, this was Phantom of the Opera 2.0 speech he gave the other day. He's beating this this January 6th dead horse just just on and on and on. And I think it's the more that he does it, the least people are going to like it. And I think it's already starting to get very tired. And um, yeah, you're, it's you're not going to work. Right. And, and yeah, and I think a lot of people are starting to get worried in the Democratic Party. They're going, you know, do we really want to set these precedents where you impeach a first term president when you go after your opponent and try to get him off the ballot? Do you really want to do that? Do you really want to uh, go after a private citizen, a president, after he's left office and try him in the Senate after he's been impeached? Do we really want to do all of that? Because Joe Biden and a lot of people on the left would be culpable in 
perhaps exposed to the same type of treatment they dished out for Trump. I think their problem right now is when they're talking about Trump as a dictator, they're thinking, if I were Donald Trump and I know what we did to him, I know what I would do. I would get back at people if I got elected. And so they project what they would do if they were Trump. And I don't think Trump really, I mean, for all the crudity and stuff he says, I don't, he's never been as vindictive as they have. And he didn't weaponize the government. But they keep accusing him because that's exactly what they would do in his position right now if they got power again and what they're doing right now while they have power. Just to correct, Jacob Blake was shot by police after he pulled a knife on them after having uh, resisted arrest and gotten into a fistfight with them. Um, and that's who she called a hero. He later admit, admitted to pulling a knife on cops in an interview with Michael Strahan over on uh, Good Morning America. The um, the other thing is, here's what he said. Here's what he was saying at Valley Forge, Biden, on Friday. Political violence is never, ever acceptable in the United States political system. Never, never, never. It has no place in a democracy. None. Political violence is never, ever acceptable. I mean, you could really ask him, then why did you why did you select this woman as your vice president? Why did you make her your vice president since she's been out there helping people like Jacob Blake and praising him and since she was helping the Minneapolis rioters um, and you yourself didn't seem too upset about the burning down of the police precincts or the courthouse, right? It's like, it's never acceptable, I guess, when it happens on the Capitol steps. Is that the one area that upsets you? Because, you know, the Democrats didn't seem too disturbed by all those other instances you and I just discussed. All right, wait, let me just shift gears because I want to tell you what Trump just said about the immunity hearing before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. He came out, he said, he promised that he would be there, and he was there. And this is sort of a window because when all these criminal cases unfold next year, he's going to have to be there. He has to sit in the courthouse for every day of those criminal trials, no matter where they are, pulling him off the campaign trail. Uh, so here's what he said in reaction to an argument that, again, was pretty tough on his side. As a president, you have to have immunity. Very simple. And if you don't, as an example, if uh, this case were lost on immunity and I did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, I'm working for the country and I worked on uh, very hard on voter fraud because we have to have free elections. We have to have strong borders. We have to have free elections. Those two things almost above all. He's also saying, Victor, in tweets or posts on Truth Social that Joe Biden better watch it because if Trump loses this argument, and a president is not immune from criminal prosecution for acts taken as president, that if he wins again, he's going to be taking a very long, hard look at what Joe Biden has done while the sitting president. Yeah. Well, I mean, at, at some point, it, I don't want to be too partisan, but it's all predicated that one side is not going to stoop down and, re and respond in kind. So Republicans come in and they say, you know, the filibuster, we're not going to just leave it alone, whether we're in the minority or the majority. Or they say, we don't need, we won't, we're not, we wouldn't dare pack the court, even though they're putting in, they have a Democratic uh, president now. Or we don't want to bring in new states. Or let's, we don't want to change the electoral college. But the left keeps trying to make systematic and fundamental changes in the system. And now they've taken that to a new high by removing people's name from the ballot and going after a president uh, 
in a way that I don't think anybody ever imagined they would do, whether it was even the records that the FBI performance art raid at, at, at Mar-a-Lago or the, you know, the, the latest one with uh, Fannie Willis and, and Bragg and Latita James. I don't think we've ever seen that before. And it's all predicated on they would never do that to us because we would say it was a miscarriage of justice or how dare you or you're dictatorial. But at some point, somebody's going to say, you know what, like Ron DeSantis already said it, Megan. He said, well, maybe our DAs, would, our, our uh, attorneys at the state level, the attorney general will look at the insurrection at the border where the whole corpus of federal immigration law was destroyed, even though this these officers- Trump's saying too. Yeah, Trump's yeah, saying maybe. the same thing. He said, uh, in part, he said, if I don't get immunity, then crooked Joe Biden doesn't get immunity. And with the border invasion and Afghanistan surrender alone, not to mention the millions of dollars that went into his pockets with money from foreign countries, Joe would be ripe for indictment. By weaponizing the DOJ against his political opponent, me, Joe has opened a giant Pandora's box. Where is he wrong? Yeah, he, he's not. And I, if he if he were to be elected and given what we know right now about the Biden family, he could easily have appoint a special prosecutor with as much or as little relationship to him as Merrick Garland has to Joe Biden. When Merrick Garland selected a he could get his attorney general and said, I need a special prosecutor to look at the entire Biden family after Biden is out of office. He could do that very easily. And I don't think these people ever realize that somebody would act to them like they act to others because they keep thinking, well, the Republicans are going to play by the markets of Queensbury rules. We control the media. We control academia. We control the social media. We have all the levers of influence. Ha ha ha. We're going to keep doing this. And finally, the people are going to. It, it doesn't work when you have a buffoonish riot. Obviously, that was a terrible thing to do. But it does work when you say, OK, we don't want to do this because we know where it leads. It's a tit-for-tat descent into a third-world mess, quagmire. But if you keep weaponizing the federal government and politics and the, and local and state government and courts, we have no choice because we're not going to roll over and surrender the country to you. And I don't think they get that message yet, but they may soon. Hmm. Um, just ask my team, what is the what is the statute of limitations on federal claims, federal cases of bribery. Uh, so let's just, you know, just for kicks, just thinking back, I, I mean, we're past it, right? Because it's been more than five years since yeah. Biden was vice president. That's what we'd be talking about since he was vice president. Yeah, but, but I think Trump's saying, they've shown Trump's issue. saying, yeah, I'll look you at things you did while president and I'll get there. And you can be imaginative too on things like racketeering or influence peddling that don't have to be just bribery. That's what all these cases are based on taking statutes and using them in a way that was never intended when the statute was passed that's, by a legislature. And, exactly th and that's it, what they did, especially especially the ballot removal. Nobody in their right mind ever thought anybody would try that. And and so I, I think they, 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 uh, they have contempt for uh, what they consider the, I, I guess, the deplorables, the clingers, the irredeemables. These people are, they're not capable of matching our wits, our sophistication. We're just going to keep doing this because we're elites and we're better than they are. And we're going to manipulate the law. We have, we can do what we want. And at some point, and, and that some point's already been reached because Donald Trump was dead even if not behind, as you remember, when you had DeSantis and Trump and talking to him, it was a kind of a, 
a close race, that, at least in the polls, and that's over with as far as the the closeness. Donald Trump surged ahead when they did this, and that doesn't mean it won't ha also happen in the general election. So I think that's the people right. are trying to say, you know what, if we let these people have power again and what they're doing to the country, it's not going to be recognizable. And that, that, and I don't even think they know what they're doing yet. I really don't think they understand the pushback or the backlash that's occurring right in the, under their noses. They're not aware of mm -hmm. it. Oh, they think it's going to be limited to the primary selection. You know, the, the primary voters are going to pick Trump, who they think is imminently beatable. So let's get gin him up. They'll make Trump the nominee. And then the general electorate, including independents, will find all of this a bridge too far. Don't bank on it. Right now, the independents are siding with Trump. They're mad, too, about the weaponization of democracy, of America's courts. That's another thing he said, in addition to trying to claim that as I said, political violence is never acceptable in the United States. Well, you seem to have been fine with it in many, many instances. He claimed uh, at this Valley Forge speech he gave, Democrats are fighting to protect the right to vote. We're fighting to protect the right to vote. Again, this is harping on J6. I'll say what Donald Trump won't. Political violence is never, ever acceptable in the United States political system. Never, never, never. Literally, as they're taking Trump off the ballot or trying to take him off in more than a dozen states. And there was a poll just out the other day. Over 80 percent of Democrats say his name should be removed from the ballots. It's not some fringe secretary of state in Maine and some rogue court out in Colorado. Some 80 percent of Democrats say, get him off the ballot. He doesn't deserve to be there. He's an insurrectionist. So people are not going to believe this. I mean, maybe Democrats, yeah, especially when Democrats, you can say the ones who are going to decide the election. I think the determinative factor there is when they say he's an insurrectionist. I mean, he's never been charged with insurrection. He's much less he's been convicted. So they're setting a precedent that you can say almost you can say Joe Biden is insurrectionist. You can say almost anybody is an insurrectionist if you don't have to charge the person and have him convicted. And of course, if you read the statute, it almost implies that the, it was intended to bring an insurrectionary conviction or something like that to the Congress, who then would enforce the statute. It didn't. It was never intended for a local or a state attorney general just to say, in my considered opinion, I think the leading candidate uh, of the opposition to my own political party is guilty of what I think is <laughs> insurrection. And so I'm going to take him off the ballot. How's that? Nobody in Unelected, their right mind would have ever voted. And not voted. even a lawyer. Not even a lawyer. Not even elected, not a lawyer. Uh, photographed <laughs> with Obama and Biden smiling. And it's just, a, it's almost an insult to people. And I think it's getting to the point of mockery. And uh, I don't think they understand what's going on. There's a lot of centrifugal forces are going on at once now with all these Palestinian protests. We, here in California, we had the National Cemetery in Los Angeles. Veteran Cemetery defaced with graffiti that got a lot of people mad. Golden Gate Bridge was shut down. And then you have the this pathetic testimony of these three university presidents, the Claudine Gay Pledge. It's just all coalescing and people in DSG, DEI. Everybody's saying, you know, ESG, DEI, I just want out of it. It's just too much. And these people are crazy. And we've got to have a normal, a normalizing reaction to get back to what we were. It's not the center is not holy, Megan. And I think you can see that abroad. Uh, you see it with Lloyd Austin. You see that something's wrong in the country where people feel that they're exempt from accountability and they can freelance. They can do anything they want, whether on the crime level, 
smash and grab or going into LA and Compton and destroying a bakery with complete exemption or what we, and I think people are just saying, you know what, we either have a country and civilization or we don't. And, and that uh, we've seen that before. We saw it in 1972. We saw it in 1980 when people all of a sudden wake up and say no more. And uh, I think that happened with Reagan in 80 with Carter the hostages, everybody, if you elect this man again, we're not going to have a country as we knew it. And that's how Reagan, and that was a very close race until about five, four months before the, uh, the election. It, it comes very swiftly. You know, it, it's that old phrase from Hemingway's son also rises gradually, then suddenly. And I think they, they don't realize it's getting gradual and gradual and gradual. And people are going to wake up one day and say no more. And you, you really see it with the worry over the minority vote. And I think uh, you can see Claiborne is terrified that you may have 20, 25 percent of the African-American vote not vote for Biden, especially with these yeah. other candidates, uh, third party. It, it's it's really unbelievable to me. You look around and it's like you've got, you know, the weaponization of the Justice Department without question. You've got a non-existent border to where there are huge majorities of independents and Republicans saying this is a disaster and has to be addressed right now. Uh, they don't want to do it. And the crime, you know, we've talked about that before, but you cannot go on X, formerly known as Twitter, without seeing another person in another Democratic city posting a picture of their local Rite Aid or CVS or pick your, your pharmacy store with everything locked up. It used to be just like condoms and pregnancy tests and like stuff that might be embarrassing to buy that people would steal, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's literally deodorant. It's everything because apparently it's what they're everything. doing is they steal it. I just heard this from a friend of mine who lives, lives in Brooklyn. Um, what happens, and, and then there's no enforcement, absolutely no enforcement. The guards are told not to interact as the, per, as the thief who's openly dumped all the stuff that's not locked up in, into a backpack, walks out the door, don't interact. We'll just call the police and they'll deal with it, but they're never arrested. But what they're doing is they're taking it all and then they're selling it on Amazon. So they and yeah. we just allow it because I think because cops are racists. That's I think how we got here. Uh, this is the new it's America. The same, and you can see the same thing on the border. Mr. Obrador, the president of Mexico, if you saw what he said yesterday, he said that he was willing to deal with the Biden administration, but they would have to give him 20 billion dollars. And then they would have to give amnesty for 10 million people here in the United States to work. And then That's they cute. would have to recognize Venezuela and Cuba. And you want to say to him, can I ask you a question? Why didn't you make those demands between 2017 and 2021? Was there a reason why you didn't? And why are you making them now? And I think the answer is transparent, that he was afraid of Donald Trump and that we have a power to stop it right now. All we have to do is say we're going to slap a 10 or a 20% income tax or sales, whatever you want to call it, on remittances. $60 billion go to Mexico. We could tax it at 20% and get $12 billion. He would never say another word. Or we could just say to him, you know what? We're going to deport all the people who came in under Biden. Eight million people are going to come back to your country, and you deal with them. Right back we will to you. Do that. Yeah. And then yeah, he's, and he's I mean, so that, those demands sound like somebody who's been sampling the product that is being being made by the he cartels knows he knows. Yeah, he, he does. Country. And we 
and and we say we take the the Biden administration never says to him, wait a minute, the the largest source of foreign exchange, more than oil, more than tourism, is remittances. Sixty million billion billion go to you, and it's all subsidized by us because the people who are sending it back are often on state and local aid health, education, housing, food supplements from us so they can free up cash to help you That and you drove them out of your own country because you wouldn't help them and now you're profiting on it. And the second source of foreign exchange is the cartels, 40 billion. And they're killing 100,000 Americans a year in some ways you could say. And we're not, and you think a president would go down there and tell him that. And if he did tell him that, he would straighten up. He would control the border because he wouldn't want to lose 60 billion. And he wouldn't want the cartels declared to be a foreign terrorist organization where you could sanction anybody that had anything to do with them and shut down their banking, shut down their financial. And that would be a lot of people in the Mexican government. And so we have a lot of leverage, but I guess that's just it just exemplifies this whole administration, this idea that we're so utopian, we're going to be so nice to everybody. We're going and then uh they will they will uh, retort and they will reply to our magnanimity with similar deference and they don't they look at it and they have contempt and for weakness i guess and obsequious i don't know what it is but the mexican government is almost telling us now we're running latin america we're going to send all these people up to your country oh by the way we want 60 billion to continue and another 60 billion goes to latin america and on top of the remittances we want 20 billion and then we want you to uh, normalize relations with these cutthroat communist dictatorships in Venezuela and Cuba. And, that, and if you do all that, we'll try to turn off the spigot a little bit. And Blinken and everybody's saying, well, these were constructed discussions. They're not. They're just blackmail. Oh, no. And you've got Mayorkas, I mean, going down to the border now because he's about to be impeached. Um, saying, don't worry, like everybody who goes through the process, uh, you know, we keep track of them. We, we know where they are. Hold on. I want to see. We've got it. Yeah, it's SOT 12. It is very important to understand that when an individual is released, they are released into immigration enforcement proceedings where they can make a claim under the laws that Congress has passed. It Literally, we're turning them away, over 85% of them, with a court date to come back that could be eight to 10 years away. He's not being truthful. We are not keeping no, track of not. them. The American people know these are lies. They do. And uh, mo most importantly for the Democrats, and that's why they're making this semblance is of some concern is that people in blue cities, especially inner city African-Americans and Hispanics along the border who are directly impacted, are starting to, to, to conclude that this project is dreamed up by bicoastal white, mostly white elites that are exempt from the consequences of their own crazy ideology because of their influence and power and wealth. And we're on the front lines when people impact our social services, crowd them, bilingual education needed in our schools instead of advanced placement, no security, no audit. Uh, they lectured us about everybody has to get a vaccination or, or else, and then people come in. When they, on the one hand, they say, COVID is back, COVID is back, we have to do this, but we're gonna let in 8 million people without even asking for a, a simple COVID test or vaccination. I think people are gonna say, you know what? 
this is more of a class thing than a race thing. This whole thing is now that these people feel they're entitled and we don't really care what they say about well, listen, blacks or yeah, Latinos. Let, let, let me, let me I, put I think some meat habit. on those bones because you're, you're exactly right. There's just a poll that came out from CBS News and they asked how, first of all, the overall feeling on how Biden's doing on immigration, 75% say this is a crisis or a very serious problem. 75% of the American electorate feels that way. When you break it down by race, do you approve or disapprove of how Biden's doing? Whites disapprove 71%. Blacks disapprove 55 to 45. So a majority of, of blacks disapprove of how he's handling the border. Hispanics disapprove 70%, almost exactly the same as whites, 70 to 30. Whites were 71 to 29. So this is not going to work that all of, of three major races here disapprove of how he's handling this and see it as a crisis. 81% of those who see this as a crisis or a serious problem say the thing they're most worried about is national security. This, the Actually, the number one answer was U.S. resources and ability to handle more people. 86% said we we're, we can't. It, we're overwhelmed. So he there's no spinning it, Victor. That's the bottom line for this administration. No, there isn't. He's got to do I, I something a, different. Yeah, he's in a time warp. He keeps thinking that I'm going to talk about January 6th ad nauseum. I'm going to talk about abortion and I'm going to call Donald Trump and all of his supporters racist. And that's ossified now. And everybody's looking at what he's actually done to destroy their lives with inflation and the border and crime and humiliation abroad. And I think he doesn't understand what he's, what he's doing. He's not only hurting his own chances. If he continues like this and the Republicans are halfway smart, and that's a, an if, they could win the Senate and the House and have a 1972, 1980 landslide if they were smart. And I think they have a good shot at it. I don't think Biden yeah. understands. Well, they're going I think after that, Mike Mayorkas clearly to yes. keep this in the news and call attention but to it. See, they're doing it via see. Homeland Security, yeah. not justice. Wait, stand by, because we, we have more to discuss yeah. on this issue. But I yeah. do have to squeeze in a quick break. We'll be right back yeah. with Victor. So, Victor, there was, on the question of immigration, there was a clip making the rounds on X the other day. And it's a couple years old, but it's so telling this is something Tucker's been saying all along as they accuse him of pushing, quote, the great replacement theory that like all the white people are terrified about immigration only because they don't want to be replaced by the brown skinned people. And he keeps saying, I'm literally just repeating what the Democrats have been saying they intend to do for years, uh, that they they want all of these immigrants to come in. And it's most likely for political purposes, at least in part. Um, and this clip that was going around on X is very telling. I had not seen it. It's from Congresswoman Yvette Clark. She's from the 9th Congressional District in New York. This is the Brooklyn area. She's running for re-election. And at this point, she was talking about how she was very pro accepting at that point, I think it was Haitians because, well, I'll let, I'll let you hear it directly from her. Take a listen. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. We have a diaspora that, that can absorb a significant number of these migrants. And I, that, you know, when I hear uh, colleagues talk about, uh, you know, the, 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 the doors of the inn being closed, um, no room in the inn, I, I'm saying, you know, I, I need more people in my district, but just for redistricting purposes. And those members could, could clearly uh, fit here. It's really nice to hear people I mean, say it out loud. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because they call it the, 
when they accuse somebody of being worried about that sentiment, they call it, oh, as you said, white people, the great replacement theory, conspiracy, all this. But they brag about it because they write books with titles, Demography is Destiny. Or the, Remember that I think that was a really bestseller, the new Democratic majority, uh, Roy Texera and others. And they said, this is the future of America. So they they were bragging about what they thought would be a monolithic group of immigrants that would come illegally, be you know eight, ten, twenty, and maybe we have twenty million plus now. We have the largest number of people I know who weren't born in the United States. I think fifty-three million of different statuses, and that's higher than any percentage in history, thirteen point eight percent or something. Here in California, Megan, twenty-seven percent of the population was not born in the United States. So that's an enormous task of assimilation and integration, but not it's not possible when people come in such numbers and they're not diverse, they don't know English in some cases, they don't have skills, they don't have capital. We, the host, have junked the melting pot for the salad bowl. And so that's what it's, we just take them at what they're mm-hmm. saying and not, and not try to impugn people's motives and being worried about it. I think people on the right are conservative. They don't care what people look like, the superficial appearance, but they do want people to come uh, with the idea that you left your country for a reason and you came here and we didn't invite you. You ask us to come and therefore we want to assimilate and integrate and understand your country rather than set foot in it and immediately lodge grievances against you for your history, your traditions. Or you're be- and that doesn't work. And I think that's why people uh, are very upset. And then it's kind yeah. of patently well, This is part obvious. of the problems in, in accepting large numbers from the Middle East. Zero desire yes. to integrate into America's culture and customs for the most part. They want us to change. It's a no. Um, stay where it's you are no. if that's a, what you want. No, it um, is. I remember, remember the MIT people said, why didn't you... When those people were going after Jewish students and threatening them, and you were telling Jewish students there are certain places on the MIT campuses that aren't safe, why didn't you expel those people? And they said, well, if we did, then their student status might be questionable, and they would be subject to forced return to the Middle East. And everybody thought, well, yeah, that would be a good thing. It would set the example to encourage other people not to follow that behavior. I don't understand the idea of guests coming into a country and then making demands or dictating to the host what they're going to do. It, it's just never happened. So true. It's just crazy. It's like somebody coming over for your, a dinner party at your house and they it insist is. on you changing all your furniture. It's like, <laughs> yes. get out, go and back to your house. Yeah, yeah. Getting a great meal and saying, oh, by the way, I didn't like that. <laughs> you cooked the steak a little bit too much. Give me another one. It, I don't think right. people like that. So there was um, that CBS poll I told you about in which 75% of the U.S. population representative poll sample say it's either a crisis or a very serious problem down at the southern border. Um, They were asked, the voters were asked, generally speaking, do you think that the recent immigrants who have been crossing the U.S.-Mexico border will make American society better in the long run, worse in the long run, or won't have much of an effect either way? And uh, a plurality here, 48% say it's going to make it worse. Almost half say it's going to make it worse. Only 22% say better. And remaining 30 say, I guess it won't have an effect one way or the other. But you've got huge numbers of the American population that think this is a serious problem and want him to do something about it. And he doesn't talk about it, right? He's he's having his Homeland Security Secretary lie, Mayorkas. Don't worry. Oh, they're in the system. 
85% are released in back into society and never to be seen again. So they're lying to us. But what Biden's been doing this week is trying to, and I've heard you talk about this. He is getting smart. He's starting to realize running on Bidenomics, talking about how we've secured the border, which is what his team has been saying as well, from Kamala to Mayorkas, isn't working. So we're going to have to do something else. And what he's doing now, I think, in part at least, is smart. Um, I don't know about January 6th. I, I share your skepticism about the people mm. believing. I think they're, they're ready to move on. But Trump's yeah. a demon. You know, there's a certain segment of the independent base that's going to go, yeah, he was a lot of drama. God, he was a hassle. He does he does a lot of stuff I don't like. So he's Biden's starting to get it, maybe in part because Obama visited him this weekend and apparently said, I don't like the way the campaign's going. You have to run it at a, in a different way and from a different place. And we'll get to what Michelle is saying. But here's the other thing he was doing. He's doing, he did it on Monday. He's stoking the racial fire. Oh, the Democrats love this trick. It's their very, very favorite one. It's delivered for them time and time again. So he goes um, to give this speech and it's at the site, the Emanuel Church, where uh, this disgusting shooter shot up a bunch of parishioners who took him in and were good to him, tried to take care of him and he murdered them in cold blood. It was... 2015, Barack Obama eulogized uh, one of the dead. And he decided to go back there to speak about politics in our country yesterday. And he gets up there and try. Now, by the way, it was a mixed crowd race wise, but he talks to them as if it's an entirely black crowd and trying to message to them that Trump hates them. Trump is the one who would be a problem for them. Here's the message in part in SOT 1. In their world, these Americans, including you, don't count. But that's not the real world. That's not democracy. That's not America. In America, we all count. In America, we witness to serve all those who, in fact, participate. And losers are taught to concede when they lose. And he's a loser. You don't count. I mean, it's, to me, it's a clear pander to the yeah. black vote, what, I, I, which... You, Newsweek and Bloomberg, but Newsweek reporting right now, Trump is poised to win more black votes than any Republican in U.S. history. And, and there's a reason for that. And you know, the first thing you know is that Joe Biden only becomes animated and he comes to life out of his somnolent state when he's attacking MAGA people. He doesn't do that about Iran. He doesn't get that angry at Hamas or Hezbollah. He doesn't even get a map that mad at Putin or the Chinese. It's only the MAGA people that get him, he, his eyes tighten up, he gets he gets angry, he starts grimacing, he starts yelling and screaming. He almost has moments of clarity, he's so animated. And that, that, that's, that, that's very strange that he does that. He hates half the country, just viscerally dislikes them. The second thing is that, again, it's projection. This is that we have never had a president that has such a history of racist and indiscreet statements as Joe Biden. Since he's been president, he's called at least on two occasions, African-American subordinates boy. He's called them boy. And then he came in on the campaign trail saying to two, two journalists, one uh, a podcaster, you ain't black. And the other person, he said, you're a junkie. And then he gave that racist corn pomp 
top yarn. During the 2008 campaign, he said that Barack Obama was the first president uh, who was black, a major black candidate who was articulate. And he said he was the first one who was clean. He praised James O. Eastman, Herman Talmadge, all of these people with segregationist, Robert Byrd. He said they, they were great people because they never called me boy. They always said son. He said the most ridiculous thing. He got in front of a group of very accomplished professionals. I think you remember that, Megan, in the 2012 mm -hmm. election. He said, Jeez. Mitt Romney will put you back in chains, put you all. And then he faked like Hillary did with this black patois, put you all, really in a condescending manner to really accomplished professionals. They had to sit there and get lectured by this racist. So I don't think it's going to work. I think people in the black community remember all of that. And yes, he's a Democrat, and yes, they they have Democratic Party loyalty. But there's, I think, there's going to be a lot of people that look at what the country was like economically and crime wise uh, before well, Joe panicking. Biden took over. He's yeah, and look, I think they play panicking. this as I say, every election they they play this card. But they do. He's he. We're going to hear a lot about it over the next year because it's one of the only things left available to him, at least in his mind. But and but also, Barack Obama Jamie does it. James Clyburn. He, yeah. he gave it up. He's from South Carolina. He's the one who helped Biden win South Carolina and thus the presidency. And he gave it up on CNN State of the Union on Sunday when asked about the black vote. Take a listen to this in Stop 5. How worried are you about black voters showing up for President Biden in November? Well, I'm not worried. I'm very concerned. And I have sat down with President Biden I don't, uh, and I've uh, told him but my concerns are, I have no problem with the Biden administration and what it has done. My problem is that we have not been able to break through uh, that MAGA wall in order to get to people exactly what this president has done. Okay, not worried, yeah. but very concerned. And yeah, and the subtext of his worry is a that. For all the criticisms of Donald Trump, he created kind of a nationalist populist party that is starting for the first time to transcend race. And it's a party of the lower, middle, and upper middle class. And he demolished the stereotype that everybody was a Mitt Romney out on the golf course, even though he himself was a billionaire and loves golf. But he was able <laughs> so to pull true. it off that it's a populist movement. And that had class appeal to people of all different races. And that's one thing. And the second thing is that he understands that while Barack Obama, maybe even Hillary Clinton can go into a black church and adopt a black dialect and be accepted and feel sincere, I don't think Joe Biden can do it. Not just because he's cognitively challenged, but because he has a record of being insensitive on racial matters and people know that. And so he, he comes off artificial, he comes off phony, he comes off mean-spirited. And even people, when he's trying to be uh, pander to you, when you look at his face and you see his animation, you remember what he said, he can't pull it off in the way that other Democratic politicals could. And so mm -hmm. I think he's in a doom loop. The more that he tries to pander to these groups, the more insincere and artificial oh. he seems. Okay, can I show you, speaking of pandering, listen to SOT2 at the same event. I'm determined to continue to deliver unequal justice under the law. I made a commitment to you to nominate the first black woman, and Jim's already talked about it, on the Supreme Court. And by the way, 
She's smarter than the rest of these guys. Oh, her name is Katanji Brown Jackson. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Victor. I'm so I'm humiliated for her. You know, you, you this is not what you want. I, I would die. If somebody was like Megan Kelly, you know, one of the first news anchors to X. And, you know, she did it better than all the guys. Stop it. That's insulting. Yeah. Don't make that comparison. And the last time he did this, of course, he announced right after George Floyd's death, he wanted to pander and exploit that. So he said he's going to have the first black woman vice president. And before he cleared that with anybody, they looked around and there wasn't a lot of accomplished politicos in the Senate or governorships that qualified. He looked at Stacey Abrams and he thought, wow, she's an election denialist. I can't pick her. And we ended up with Kamala Harris, who hadn't been properly vetted. And so... It doesn't it never works when you announce that somebody's gender or race or the primary qualification why they get that job, because then that's not the end of it. That's the beginning. She's a perfect example. Then you have to keep lying. And so when you get Claudine Gay and she has plagiarism, then you have to say it's duplicative language or it's a misstep. Or it's just copy. You have to always lie further and further and further because you went you went away from the essential truth. If you're the preeminent university in the United States and you have these high standards that we're all supposed to honor and worship, and you appoint somebody with only eleven articles who had a dubious record to begin with, and then she's found out to be a plagiarist, and now you can't touch her because you yourself said she's a black woman who deserves exemption and special. Then you destroyed your reputation. And now look what happened on that case. Now they have a, a full professor of political science on the Harvard faculty making 900,000 who has plagiarized 60% of her meager academic record that wouldn't qualify in any other university for a full professorship and tenure. And what do they do with her? The next Harvard student that cheats, do they say, well, you, you did copy 11 passages, but you know what? It's duplicative language, so we're not going to kick you out. Or it's not as bad as uh, Claudine Gay, and she's a professor on the faculty. That, that's where they are. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of prominent women of color who are in the national news, Michelle Obama has resurfaced. And I have to say, this one's very interesting because we get the report that Barack Obama went and spoke with Biden over the weekend saying the direction of the campaign is not right, which he's right. I mean, obviously, Biden's losing now to Trump in all seven of the swing states by a considerable margin in several of them, several of them that Biden won the last time. So the swing has been dramatic and there's no obvious plan other than the one I just outlined, black people and maybe J6 um, to, to write that ship. Enter Michelle Obama, all the speculation about whether Biden can make it. And he got lost even at the last event. He was wandering around on the stage when he made his January 6th remarks. Jill Biden had to save him. Enter Michelle Obama, who sits down on this popular podcast, though I've never heard of it, but apparently it's popular um, with this guy. She has nothing to promote. She has no book. She has no event. So that means she called them and said, I have something to say. And she very clearly has something to say. The only question is why she's saying it to, to help. Joe Biden or to help herself to lay the foundation for her emergence uh, on the national scene in some political way. Here's in part what she said to Jay Shetty on his on purpose podcast, Sot 20. You wonder 
where are people, where are we in this? You know, where are our hearts? What's going to happen in this next election? I am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter. Who we select, who speaks for us, who holds that bully pulpit, it affects us in ways that sometimes I think people take for granted. You know, the fact that people think that government, eh, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't really even do anything. And I'm like, oh, my God, does government do everything for us? And we cannot take this democracy for granted. And sometimes I, I worry that we do. Victor, just a couple, like two observations. I'll give you the floor. Number one, all the things she's talking about to kick it off are re- about rhetoric. Who speaks for us? Who has the bully pulpit? That's all her husband did. That's all he had. He, he was talent, a talented orator. So no wonder she's touting that as like the thing we need in a president. Who cares? Right? It'd be nice if he could speak, if he could sort of rally America uh, and, and its fans to, to back us. But that's not really what we're electing in a president. We'd really like policies that make sense. And then her second point, Amer- government does everything. Does everything. That's her vision. They do it all, everything. That's yeah, what we that's- need. It's like, that's going to be... <laughs> Her platform. Yeah, that's Elizabeth Warren. You know, you didn't build that. We we in the government made your fortune for you. You know, and it's funny because she's saying that we need a bully pulpit, but she just got a, a whiff of the bully pulpit with Joe Biden. There was no one. No one has given a speech more demagogic, more hostile, more what she more left wing. And she's looking at that right out in the aftermath. And she's saying, um, uh, I, I we need a bullet puppet. And, and, the, and the, again, the subtext is, well, he had the right message, but he lacks Barack's uh, rhetorical flourishes to get that clinger type message across to people how much he despises them. And then the other thing is, you know, she just came off a junket. I think you remember, Megan, she went to Berlin, a, a private leftist group asked her to speak. And it was for $750,000 for 60 minutes. It worked out to about $12,000 a minute. And it was very funny about her because I, I only bring this up because in that interview, I think you remember she was making fun of capitalism. She said it's supposed to trickle down, but it doesn't even trickle down now. And I'm thinking, well, you went, you just made $12,500 a minute. And you know what, Michelle? You were asked to speak on DEI, but you didn't speak on E. You only spoke on D and I. The title of your speech was diversity and inclusion. But why didn't you put equity in there? Because it's pretty unequal uh, for you to get 12500 which is more than most people in the world make an entire year. You made in a minute. And so they have this bad habit, the Obamas, that every time there's a social justice question, whether it was George Floyd or economic downturn, they appear. Sometimes they appear from Calorama, sometimes from Martha's Vineyard, sometimes from the new Hawaii mansion, sometimes from their old Chicago digs. But they come out and they lecture the country on its illiberal tendency. And you and it doesn't work anymore. People think, you know what? You guys cashed in. You're among the upper, upper, upper 1%. You've got four homes. You've got this huge estate. You're right on, you know, global warming is going to flood the beaches of America, but you're right on Martha's Vineyard coast, and now you're at Hawaii Beach. You're hypocrites. And so don't lecture us anymore about the evils of capitalism when you you got rich exploiting your name and influence in office 
by dealing with capitalists. You're a hyper-capitalist. So I don't think she's going to be convincing. I don't think she's going to run. I think she's going to titillate or tease or suggest that she might be a public intellectual and comment. But when it comes to actually getting out on the campaign trail, she doesn't have the skills that her husband did. If you remember in the 2008 campaign, she started to do that, just like she did in that interview. And she said, you know, she's never been proud of the country until Barack won. They set the bar. They always raise the bar on me. This is a downright mean company country. And then all of a sudden she vanished. They didn't let her say anything. And she became the nice popular Michelle in her memoir. But uh, I don't think she wants to endanger that popularity by getting back into politics, because there's where she really reveals her sentiments and, and basically a contempt for a lot of what America is. Mm, very interesting. I mean, I wonder if she's I do think she's a powerful Democratic weapon, but she wasn't powerful enough to stop Trump in 2016. It's no, not like she, she she stayed quiet then. She was very clearly against him. Didn't work. Um, whether it works this time as a as a pundit, I, I'm, I remain skeptical. But if she comes out as a candidate, it's a whole new ball game because there's no question she's more talented than Joe Biden is politically. No question. Um, so very interesting. She should resurface now. The only question is how far does that go? Okay, a couple other yeah. things I want to get to while I have you. There is a CNN poll out today showing that Nikki Haley is within seven points of Trump in New Hampshire. Now, everybody's saying, oh, my gosh, Chris Christie needs to drop out because he has 12 percent in New Hampshire. And I think there were there were some polls showing something like 85 percent of those would go to Haley if he dropped out. So let's say his 12 percent went to Haley and she went from 32 to 44. Trump's at 39. OK, but what about. Vivek, he has 8%. Maybe he would then drop out. Do you think his 8% would go to Nikki Haley and her 44? No, it would probably go to Trump, who then would have 47 to her 44. Like, the, people are playing the game of, she's almost there. Why can't one of these other guys drop out to put her over the edge? And DeSantis, too, he has 5% in New Hampshire. Okay, if he dropped out, his supporters are probably going to Trump. They're probably not going to Nikki Haley, or they're not going to vote. In any event, some sect of the Republican Party still believes that she can do this, Victor. Are you one of them? I, I'm not. I think this is, reminds me so much of 2016 when everybody said, count the percentages up. If you count up all the candidates, all they have to do is coalesce, and then they'll have more than Donald Trump, and he'll, we'll stop him. And they might be close, but it doesn't work that way. It's sort of like the old Aesop's fable about the mice have to put a bell on a cat. Great idea, but who's the mouse who's going to do it? Who's the people who are going to drop out? <laughs> and they don't want to drop out because they get attention. Otherwise, they'll never have in the li their lives again. I think what's happening, though, is a lot of donors who may have and not thought DeSantis would check Trump. These are the kind of independent or never Trumpers or Ryan, whatever term either of encouragement or disparagement. I don't know what the term is, but they have shifted now. And I've talked to a lot of them. They're giving a lot of money to Haley, a lot. And she's out, I think she's even outspending Donald Trump. She's out, she's just flooding the airwaves in Iowa and New Hampshire. And that will result in a, in a mild uh, uptick. But whether she will beat DeSantis, I'm not sure she will in Iowa. And I don't, maybe she will in New Hampshire, but then 
I, I don't think there's a trajectory here. Maybe she's running for vice president. She hasn't ruled that out. DeSantis has ruled that out. She hasn't. And maybe she's saying to Donald Trump, look, there's a lot of money out there and they will give to me and they won't give to you. They're, they're not going to give you money. But they, they look at me as kind of a McCain-Romneyite figure, a Bush figure, and I can be your running mate someday and bring back the, the mainstream of the Republican Party or the establishment. I shouldn't say mainstream anymore. And they have a lot of money that, that I can bring. I don't know what her strategy is, but she's getting a, a, a surge because of the funding. And uh, it's it's made her go up in the polls a little bit. But until they all call, <laughs> they all get together and they say, only you are going to be the candidate tomorrow and all of us will give you 100 percent support, then they, there might be a chance. Or and if beg there's our a supporters. Who thinks Vivek's eight yeah. percent is going to go to Nikki Haley? No way. It's That's not, not happening. Now, obviously, no, those people go to Donald Trump. Trump. I don't, you yes. know, and, I'm not sure, but yeah, that, something kind of amusing did happen. And before we get to New Hampshire, where she does have good numbers, I mean, for sure, she's the only one yeah. giving Trump a run for his money in any of the early states. But before we get to New Hampshire, which is second, we got to go through Iowa. Iowa's first. And right now, as you point out, she and DeSantis are, according to the latest poll, tied for second. Trump's far and away the number, number one, though. Uh, conservative leaders in Iowa, the Iowa governor, they've endorsed DeSantis and they keep saying, don't don't be surprised if DeSantis manages a win, notwithstanding these numbers. So Nikki Haley does still have to campaign in Iowa. And MSNBC ran this report showing how the latest event went. Here's just a snippet in SOT 11. You look around me, technically, this is an event that was supposed to start in the last few minutes. And of course, it's empty. You've got empty chairs, stuff packed up in the corner and signs just hanging on the wall. The only way you'd know that Nikki Haley was supposed to be here. They canceled this event just a few minutes ago. Okay, so (laughs) there's a question about whether that was because nobody wants to see Nikki Haley in Iowa or because they're getting a massive snowstorm over the past day or so, including today, that is leading to uh, a massive, I think it's a, like a, over a foot of snow dumping. But here's what's interesting. Here's just some color for you. you we have to end this on a, on a laugh. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy got all over her because after this, she canceled um, an event or two. Um, okay, that was the event she canceled? Oh, nobody came, so she canceled it. That's the thing. And she's saying, oh, she had travel difficulties because of the storm. Others are saying no one showed up, you know, and then the camp is saying, well, that's because of the snow, too. So then Vivek jumps in and starts to mock her, saying, um, "Okay, she Nikki Haley canceled her events in Sioux City, Iowa, to avoid embarrassment. I'm headed to Sioux City for our event right now. We're not canceling. Four events in Northwest Iowa, keeping them intact. If you can't handle the snow, you can't handle Xi Jinping. He also posted, we're not going to let a little snow stop us. I'm no snowflake. And then today he posted the following. It now appears effectively impossible to safely get from Des Moines to Coralville for our first event. We will postpone our visit and we'll make sure that we will return there again before the caucus. We will resume our schedule today as soon as it becomes possible to dry. <laughs> yeah, I, I think all of the <laughs> I, I think everybody thought that because they're not 
Donald Trump, they're all going to be charismatic. And the, the most charismatic was Nikki Haley. But with the, the slave remark and the, about the Civil War, and then she said, I turn on different personalities or characters in different places, and Iowa needs to be corrected. I think she's got a lot more scrutiny. I think the biggest question on number two is, can Ron DeSantis appeal to independents better than she can appeal to the base? And I think Mm. That's true. That he can he can win independence more than she can uh, win the base. If she were nominated, fairly or not, I would vote for her. Uh, and she's not my favorite candidate, but I would vote for her over Biden. But I think there's a lot of people in the MAGA base that would not vote for her. But well, I, I do think home. people, yes, and I do think independents that would vote for her if DeSantis was the number candidate, they would vote for him as well as the MAGA. He has the MAGA base. So I think he's a more viable by far candidate. If you look at that point, if it was a, if it was between the two, I don't I, I'm worried about her if she were to get the nomination. I don't think she will. But I and I've talked to people and I've said, I you have to vote for if she were to get it, you would surely vote for her over Joe Biden in this neo-socialist agenda. And they say, no, I wouldn't. Mm. And they're serious. And so I, mean, I we'll think see. you probably encounter that. People say too. that sometimes. Yeah. But I don't. I yeah, think this is all rhetorical because uh, unless we'll she's see. got some plan up her sleeve that we haven't seen, it's it's yeah. Trump's. I mean, you know, it's Trump and yeah. only Trump. It's, Though she it's did just be today Donald, get the uh, endorsement yeah. of Judge Judy. Well, you know, I love Judge Judy, <laughs> but uh, she also yeah. endorsed Mike Bloomberg, so she doesn't have the best political track yeah. record, Victor. No. Anyway, look, no, here's does. my message. I know you're a Californian. I'm an upstate New York girl. First ten years in Syracuse. Back to Syracuse for college. All the rest in Albany. We don't cancel events there unless we got three feet of snow. We are tough as they come. I would have been at the event because you know what? At Syracuse University, they didn't cancel classes. They put up rope toes so you could pull yourself to school. <laughs> it's an insane um, part of the country to grow up in. I know Iowans yes. are tough, but these politicians yes. flying well, we in. Ca we cancel with one inch. Much. <laughs> you cancel with one inch, of course. Right? California, yes. they're not prepared. Yeah. That I understand. Yeah. Anyway, fun to watch it unfold. You got to get the last where you can. Victor, such a pleasure. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Megan. I enjoyed it. I'm Megan Kelly, host of The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM. It's your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations with the most interesting and important political, legal, and cultural figures today. You can catch The Megan Kelly Show on Triumph, a Sirius XM channel featuring lots of hosts you may know and probably love. Great people like Dr. Laura, Glenn Beck, Nancy Grace, Dave Ramsey, and yours truly, Megan Kelly. You can stream The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM at home or anywhere you are. No car required. I do it all the time. I love the Sirius XM app. It has ad-free music coverage of every major sport, comedy, talk, podcast, and more. Subscribe now. Get your first three months for free. Go to SiriusXM.com slash MKShow to subscribe and get three months free. That's SiriusXM.com slash MKShow and get three months free. Offer details apply. I'm taking your calls today, 833-44-MEGYN or 833-446-3496. Bunch of people already on the line, so let's get right to them. Um, and we've got some more Michelle Obama for you. But Jim in Virginia has got thoughts on whether Michelle is likely to run for president. What do you think, Jim? Seem like the Dickens for Biden, yes. 
I think that's kind of an emergency call from Biden and his campaign for help because they're losing pretty bad in several states that they prior had won. And I don't think they would get by with the shenanigans that was pulled in the last election. I'm sorry about that. I'm a truck driver, ma'am. No worries. Um, I, I don't think they get by with it like they did last time. Mm. And thank so you don't you for think she's going to run? Call. You think this is just a, um, a Hail Mary I, help? I, I think that's what it is, pretty much. I would be you be worried if she ran? Would you be worried? Like, I'm, I mean, or would you maybe you're a Democrat? Maybe you'd be in favor. Oh, I'm not a Democrat, ma'am. Not by a long shot. <laughs> uh, but as far as being surprised, not really. Um, I figure it would be if, if it come down to that, it would be between her and Gavin Newsom, which God help us if either one of them uh. was to by some chance win. Um, I'm not sure we like our options. I don't think we're done with Michelle Obama. I have to say, like, she went on and she got even more kind of annoying. Just the way she talks is kind of annoying. Take a listen to. um, All right. I don't know. Which one should we play, Steve? 41 is the one where she just sounds kind of annoying. But play whichever one you want. Stand by. We're all human. Mm -hmm. We're so alike. I don't care about skin color or how we pray or who, how we love, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. What keeps us from seeing that is fear, right? I don't know you, you're mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. So I got to be afraid of you and I can't, I, I have to make sure you don't come into my space. And then we live in a culture where people with power prey on fear to get mm-hmm. more power. Mm-hmm. I want to make you all afraid of each other. Mm-hmm. And then I can come in and rule it all, mm-hmm. right? Right. Okay. Right. Okay. I understand. We, we prey on each other and we're afraid of one another. Who are you talking about, Michelle? Cause you're not talking about the vast majority of Americans. I don't know if you're talking about yourself because your, your husband was one of the most divisive presidents in U S history, but she wants to blame other people. That's how, that's how others feel. Namely Trump, I'm sure is what she would say. Steve in Florida, any thoughts on Michelle Obama? Oh, hi, Megan. How you doing? Hi. Um, essentially, uh, Biden's problem is Kamala Harris. And he has to replace her with someone similar based on their philosophy. So to put Michelle Obama in and Kamala's place is going to do a hell of a lot for his campaign. And God forbid if they win, he'll step down after six months and then she'll become president. Mm. So you don't think she comes in and bigfoots him out of the top spot? No, absolutely not. But but Kamala Harris is just a frumfering nitwit. And Michelle Obama, good speaker. A lot of people like her. And uh, she'd be a great replacement for Kamala. And that would essentially then be a run against Michelle Obama for president. Because Biden will step down. That would be the plan. I mean, that's as Machiavellian as it gets. But what do they do with Kamala Harris? Like, how do they offload her? She decides that she doesn't want to do it anymore and steps down gracefully because she'd be more than happy to have Michelle Obama as president. And she Maybe she wants to run she Harvard. Might, she, might <sighs> she probably couldn't do a worse job than the other one. Um, but right? I well, you know, certain commentators are out there saying it has to be a black woman that they replace 
Claudine Gay with? Well, I, I know of one who may be looking for a job. Yeah, people fail up in uh, in those categories. But I think Michelle would be a replacement for Kamala based on, you know, the Democrat philosophy of, you know, DEI. And we have to run things based on skin color, unfortunately, as opposed to qualifications. I can see the thinking, but I just don't think Michelle Obama would ever take the number two spot. I think she knows she's she's arguably a bigger name even than Joe Biden. And she'd be like, move aside. But I see your point of the agreement would be that's where she's landing anyway. This is just a different way of getting there. Interesting thoughts, Steve. Thank you for calling. Let's go north of the border to Kevin in Canada. Kevin, what do you think? Michelle Obama? Hey, Megan. Um, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know much about American politics, but I w- I've put many suggestions on your YouTube channel. Why do, and, and it's probably too late now, but why do you not run for president? Uh, <laughs> because I'm too happy per- a person, Kevin. I, my life is too enjoyable as it is now. And uh, what little forays I make into politics, I typically regret. So, no, I I like covering it from afar. Sometimes I feel like kind of like the the queen, the way the prime ministers would come and go and the queen was just always still there. That's how journalists are, except we're not royal and we don't have billions. But um we withstand the test of time. And I like that. I like being able to comment on all of them. You know, Barack Obama was this life force that was completely dominating the country and the national conversation. And now he's gone. Now he's in Martha's Vineyard. Like every once in a while, he pipes up. But do we really care about every word Barack Obama utters? No, but I'm still here. I kind of like that. So thank you for your support. And if I ever give it a try, I'll try to recruit you to come back down to the United States to vote for me. But thank you. Um, let's go to David in Tennessee. Hey, David, what's on your mind? Hey, how you doing, uh, Megan? Uh, I was on stage with you when uh, you did the Trump or the interview with uh, everybody but Trump. Uh, I want to say that uh, I think that uh, what's going to happen is uh, they're going to arrest Trump and take him off the field because they don't want him nowhere near the uh, the office of the presidency. And they're going to have to scramble to get somebody else on uh, stage to take his place. Do you mean at the convention? Yes, I think, yes, at the convention. I, I, I believe that this, this Judge Chechnya, or whatever, if that's her name, <laughs> I, I, I believe that, she, that she's going to arrest him and, and, and handcuff him and take him off. Because, see, I, I've, I've been watching this thing unfold. They are the most... Uh, interfering uh, uh, in a presidential election I've ever seen. No, all of the people that indicted Trump were all Democrats. And here's another thing. People forget the only way Joe Biden won was they had to shut down three states in order to kick everybody out, and only they did the counting. And does anybody think that was fair? And they just discovered in Georgia 20,000 ghost boat, boats over in Georgia in the in the county where Fannie Willis is at, and guess what? They were all for Joe Biden. Mm, I'm not familiar with that news story, but just putting the claims of election fraud aside, there's no question. I mean, there, there has been all Democrats that have indicted Trump, and they would absolutely love their lawfare to keep him off the ballots. And it could actually include sending him into a jail cell before November of 2024. I shudder at the thought. Uh, I don't. I just don't know how the country will recover from that. David, thanks for weighing in with your thoughts on it. Let's see. How about Stuart in South Carolina? Stuart, talking about your state. 
and uh, how it's likely to go there. What do you think? What are your thoughts on this primary? I just think Trump's the only guy for the job. He has seen the devil in the face and knows how bad they can be. I feel like that once he got there, he realized how, based on their opposition, you know, this unhinged opposition to him, that he was chosen. He's the only one for the job. Look what they did to get rid of him. It's crazy how they treated him. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've talked to so many people who are they're kind of over Trump. They liked his four years. They liked his policies, but they were over his drama. But as soon as the indictment started to come down, they were like, I'm 100% voting for Trump and only Trump to send a message. You can't do this in America. I feel the same way. I really do. I feel like he's a tiger. So he's going to be a tiger, which is what we need. But just the fact that they fought him so hard proves like when you're over the target, you get the most slack. He is doing he was taking care of things that we had to, have to be done to straighten the country out, and they couldn't they couldn't have it. They mm-hmm. fought him every which way they could. It's so unfair. He deserves another term for the way they treated him and hampered him in his first term. That cloud of he's a Russian spy the whole time that let the Republicans, his own team, did not back him up because they used that as a way to not – support him. The, oh, he might not even be here next year because he might be a Russian spy when everybody knew that was BS. And they went along. It's with amazing. It. You think of like Michelle Obama comes out. She decides the hubris, right? I'm going to tell people I'm terrified and then they're going to back Joe Biden. Then they're going to stop backing Trump. The independents will listen to me and my terror. We've been paying attention. You may have been enjoying yourself in Martha's Vineyard. The rest of us have been living the consequences of your husband's vice president, now president's policies. Uh, I think she's in for a a rude awakening. Thank you for calling, Stuart. Let's go uh, to New Hampshire. Another early first in the nation primary, New Hampshire. Andy, what are your thoughts on what's going to happen in your state? Hi. Hey, Megan. How are you? We have 14 I'm great. inches how you doing? of snow on Sunday. 14 inches of snow on Sunday, and uh, we're living through it. Um, I'm jealous. Trump is going to Trump is going to win. It's not going to be by a wide margin like he is, and going to win in Iowa. Uh, the only thing that Biden's got to run on is January 6th, and that he ain't, that he ain't Trump, and that's not going to cut it for the rest of the way. My not impressed. Is Trump will win. Um, my prediction is Trump will win in New Hampshire, but not by much. But I also predict mm. that between uh, Super Super Tuesday and sometime in the next few months after that, that Biden will step down, will be pushed out by his own party. And I always believe this. Gavin Newsom will be the nominee of the Democratic Party. Wow. Oh, my gosh. This is going to be the craziest year ever, ever. In U.S. politics. I'm so excited that we're going to go through it together. Andy, thank you. And good luck at the primaries next week and getting out there and making sure your vote counts. Uh, let's let's go to Randy in Kentucky. We have time. Randy, what are your thoughts? Hey, Megan. Thanks. Uh, it's just so obvious that our two-party system has got polarized, and it's by design. They want they want to uh, fundraise off of that, that anger, get their tribes together. It's really time for, like, no labels to come along and occupy that center lane with with common sense agenda and uh, and and once and for all serve notice to these two parties that you can't treat us like this anymore. You can't give us these 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 choices of the lesser of two evils. The Republicans are hell bent on running the one guy 
that the Democrats could actually beat this year. Uh, mm. And the Democrats are just running a Trojan horse that's not even running the show. And it's just time for something like uh, I know third parties don't ever win, but this is different. This is a different time. And it's time for a unity ticket of no labels where you draft two very common sense right down the middle people that have America's best interest and aren't going to bring all their baggage to bear and we can get things done. So like a Mike Pompeo and a, and somebody like that, but just somebody that can come in and be, uh, well, maybe, maybe some Dems uh, are interested in our, in our guest tomorrow because uh, we're actually going to have our legal panel back and they're going to talk about what they heard today at that immunity argument in the court of appeals, Dave uh, and Mike are coming back, but we're also going to have democratic presidential candidate, Dean Phillips. I'm actually very excited to talk to him. Could this guy actually be a contender? He's got a lot to say about Joe Biden. We're going to have all of that for you guys tomorrow. Thanks for calling in, you guys, and thanks for listening every day. really appreciate you out there tuning in on Sirius or the podcast or the YouTube channel. All the best. We'll, We'll do it all over again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.